Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're back to good, bad, and crazy today, but let's begin with a uh, uh, follow-up to yesterday's crazy martini. We had all crazy yesterday, but specifically the Don Lemon one. I think that's the one that most people uh, paid attention to yesterday. And of course, yesterday, if you weren't with us or didn't see it, uh, he responded to Nikki Haley's call for a mental competency test for any politician who wants to stay active in politics over the age of 75 by saying Nikki Haley is no longer in her prime at the age of 51 because the prime for women is 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s, Jim. He wasn't sure about that. Google wasn't totally clear because he got all his information from Google. Well, yesterday we got, I would say, a forced apology probably from Don Lemon. Uh, He says, the reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out, and I regret it. A woman's age doesn't define her either personally or professionally. I have countless women in my life who prove that every day. Uh, unquote, but I guess he decided to go with Google on that. Anyway, uh, what got a lot of people laughing this morning was this quick intro to the morning show on CNN. Good morning, everyone. Audie Kordish is here at the desk with us this morning. Don has the day off. Uh, Jim, too delicious. Some are saying that Don Lemon had uh, already been talking about not being here on Friday, but whatever. It seems like a perfect coda to his insane comments from Thursday. Yeah. Look, first of all, uh, I thought it, it was very significant that his apology, and you can't see me making air quotes as I do that, did not apologize to Nikki Haley, which is what it began with, with his declaration that she was not in her prime. By the way, I just wish, you know, she should like send out the gif of um, Val Kilmer in Tombstone declaring I'm in my prime. Um, <laughs> I think she is in her prime. Oh, by the way, it's really kind of absurd to contend that a woman's prime is in her 20s and 30s when you need to be 35 to be elected president of the United States. <laughs> I, I also concur. This this really read like a forced apology. I did not sense any genuine regret or contrition there. It was not an irrelevant or it was really a terrible and, and just unbelievably offensive thing to say to women. I speculated yesterday during an appearance on Megyn Kelly's program, wondering how much Don Lemon really wants to continue being employed by CNN. That's not the sort of thing you say if you really want to stay on good terms with your employer, or for that matter, your female co-anchors or anybody else around you. The fact that he's off today makes it sound like he's been sent to his room. Perhaps he didn't get any dinner. Perhaps there'll be no dessert for you. We'll see if there are further consequences, but I I do kind of think that something about television news does cultivate these bizarre, obsessive, wrongheaded personalities. And uh, it looks like Don Lemon will be the latest one to, to join a really infamous crowd over there. On to our actual good martini today, Jim. And uh, a lot of people are going to be nodding vigorously at this, uh, especially those uh, who were very frustrated by vaccine mandates last year. Remember, Joe Biden was... We've been patient, but we're running out of patience and all this stuff when he was talking about mandates for federal workers and uh, encouraging businesses to do the same. Well, a new Lancet study says people who already had COVID didn't really need the vaccination after all, at least in the post-Delta phase. Quote, immunity acquired from a COVID infection provides long-lasting protection against the most severe outcomes of the illness, according to research published Thursday in The Lancet. 
Protection that experts say is on par with what's provided through two doses of an mRNA vaccine. Infection-acquired immunity cut the risk of hospitalization and death from a COVID reinfection by 88% for at least 10 months, the study found. The findings may be a small silver lining to the explosive Omicron outbreak of last winter. With so many people infected, many most likely still benefit from that protection against severe disease. Meanwhile, an Israeli study, according to uh, Hot Air, and hats off to Ed Morrissey for compiling this, looked at thousands of medical records in one part of the study. They compared over 16,000 patients who were previously infected and never vaccinated against another 16,000 who had only received the vaccine, Pfizer in particular. They factored in age, gender, health, and when they were infected or vaccinated, they found that the vaccinated group that did not report any prior infection was much more at risk of catching COVID-19 later on than those who had already been infected but not vaccinated. In fact, there was a 13-fold higher risk of breakthrough infection compared with reinfection. So, uh, Jim, turns out our immune systems are still pretty good. And uh, it turns out that the government was uh, forcing people to do stuff that was not only unconstitutional, but highly unnecessary. Go figure. Yeah. Look, I was pro-vaccination. I'd say if you have any questions, talk to your doctor. It's probably better to have it than to not have it. But the you know advantages of natural immunity from having a COVID-19 infection and fighting it off should not be ignored, should not be hand-waved away, should not be brusquely dismissed as a non-factor. This is how it works for most viral infections. You don't go out and get a vaccine for every single virus that's out there. Usually your body gets it. Usually the effects aren't that bad. You get a cough, you get a cold, you get a runny nose, you get all that other stuff, stuffy head, elevated temperature. And then your body figures out how to fight it off. And after that, you you know every time your body encounters that pathogen again, it says, aha, this is how we fight it. And it does it and your life goes on. And that's why you aren't constantly being debilitated by all the viruses that you're encountering in a body, in a world that has plenty of viruses around. Um, this is good news. This is something that probably should have been a factor and much more bigger part of the discussion from the beginning. It does demonstrate, I think, how much vaccination became seen as a form of social signaling and became a form of demonstrating moral superiority to others. It was kind of frustrating. This turned into another cultural war football, largely driven by the Biden administration and by people who wanted to believe that if you chose not to get vaccinated because you felt that your natural immunity from past infection was going to be sufficient, that somehow you were an enemy of the state, that somehow you were some sort of menace that had to be dealt with by the government. You needed to be punished. You needed to be, you know, the government had to come down on you like a ton of bricks. People entering the country illegally, eh, we're not going to worry about that too much. But you, you, Mr. Non-Vaccinated, you are the threat. You are the crisis. Um, the other point is that I think this just kind of you know aligns with the lived experience of most Americans. Most Americans at this point have had COVID-19. Uh, some had it very badly, but most people had it and they felt sick for a couple of days and then they, you know, got better. And a bunch of people have had it more than once. And a bunch of people probably have had it asymptomatically by now. The, you know, I probably shared with listeners at some point. Got it once, did the usual isolation for a week. This would have been like uh, a little more than a year ago, like February 2022. Um, and then in the fall, uh, I you know tested myself when my wife had gotten it. And apparently the, it was I had no symptoms. Line came back pink. And so apparently I had it was asymptomatic. Your body figures out how to fight this stuff off. Or you die, one or the other. But we're now at the point where pretty much uh, that's it. Now, obviously, if you're immunocompromised, if you're elderly, you may have a tougher time with this. You may want to look into getting the booster shots and and various uh, other vaccines that are meant to dealt with the variants. But by and large, for the average, you know, healthy American, 
you got it. You fought it off and you're pretty clear. And they're going to try to memory hold this, Jim, especially as Biden's running for re-election. Uh, the idea, because you had Leanna Wen and other uh, lefty kind of leaning uh, medical experts, quote unquote, out there saying, oh, you shouldn't be allowed on planes. We're trying to make it miserable for you to even leave your house if you haven't uh, uh, gotten the vaccine because you're, you're basically a, a threat to your neighbors and so forth. And so the way that this was used to try to force compliance uh, is somewhere that a government never should have been and hopefully will never be again. But uh, do you think they'll actually learn this? I know they won't admit it, Jim, but do you think no, they'll actually me, learn from it? Let me stop you there, Greg. No, they won't. <laughs> Anytime uh, the question is, will they learn? No. No, they will not. The At least per- based on history. The perennial answer. All right. On to our... Uh, Onto our bad martini now, Jim. And for that, we go back to America's schools. Uh, we have talked about uh, this in the past. Uh, most recently, I think, with the Virginia uh, controversy over schools right in your neck of the woods there, Fairfax County. I think the same was true for certain schools in Prince William County, Loudoun County, and, and perhaps others in Virginia, where schools decided not to tell National Merit Award winners that they were National Merit Award winners because it might make the students who didn't get those honors feel bad. And they didn't tell them in time for many college application deadlines, scholarship deadlines that could really affect these students. But it's not just National Merit. It's not just in Virginia. The Wall Street Journal with a very frustrating story today uh, that starts off this way. A group of parents stepped to the lectern Tuesday night at a school board meeting in the middle-class Los Angeles suburb of Culver City to push back against a racial equity initiative. The high school, they argued, should reinstate, meaning they had taken it away, honors English classes that were eliminated because they did not enroll enough black and Latino students. The district earlier this year replaced the honors classes at Culver City High School with uniform courses that officials will say ensure students of all races receive an equal, rigorous education. Jim, I'm guessing they didn't kill the uh, actual normal English classes when they decided to have honors English classes. But once again, this uh, push for equity wants equal outcomes instead of just equal opportunity. And it's leading to bad outcomes and it's punishing high achievers. Yeah. By the way, if you look at an honors class for English or any other subject in a diverse school system and your advanced classes and your AP classes don't have minority students and only have white students. That that does demonstrate a real problem. But the problem is not a lack of equity. The problem is not that those white kids are too smart and need to be punished, need to be somehow held back, need to be somehow, you know, suppressed, you know, all that kind of stuff. The problem is that school district is failing the minority students. I think the vast majority of Americans, I think almost everybody would believe that there is enormous potential in just about every single human being on earth. Right? There's no reason African American, Latino, or any other minority student can't achieve well in English or any other class. It's just a question of, can you bring out that potential in that child? Chances are the school system has dropped the ball at some point earlier in the education. There may be factors at home. There may be factors in which the child is growing up in poverty, growing up with a unstable house, don't have a lot of books in the house, all kinds of other, you know, some of us are blessed with great parents and some of us have to deal with the challenge of parents who are not so great. Your job as a school is not to throw up your hands and say, well, we can't do anything about this, so we're just not going to educate the smartest kids as much. We'll we'll just give the same generic cookie-cutter education to everybody and hope for the best. That's accepting failure. That's embracing failure. That's saying we're, we're afraid of the consequences of even trying to improve life for all these kids. So the first thing is you got to start earlier and say, look on these minority kids and say, hey, 
you are capable of doing as well as everybody else in this class. Why are why is this not happening? What is the holdback? You know, is it that they need to reemphasize phonics? Is it that they need to send the kid home with more books? Do they need more homework? Do they need less homework? Are they getting too stressed? Uh, there's a whole for each kid. There's different factors, but uh, you know, having been you know, believe it or not, listeners, once a very bright kid, you're free to ask what the heck happened in the last thirty some years or so. <laughs> And having had and being blessed with two very bright kids, a bored bright kid can be as much of a problem as a uh, bored not so bright kid, right? In other words, and they can have as many trouble as much trouble in school, both behaviorally and in terms of grades. My new recent teenager, I now have two teenagers in the house. God help me. Yes, yeah, seriously. Um, laments that they're, <laughs> there's they're, they're reading a book and they can only read a certain number of chapters. They have to stop at a certain time. They don't want people reading ahead. He wants to read, he's desperate to read ahead. He wants to know how the book ends. He's just itching to. And I just kind of find it fascinating that this, in this English class, don't read any, we want you to read and then we want you to stop. Stop reading, children. Careful, you might learn something else. So I understand this teacher's philosophy. They don't want certain kids reading ahead, spoilers and all that kind of stuff. But it does kind of feel like this, this sense of, you know, we have this, the kids who want to learn things and our education system thinks the best thing we can possibly do is put uh, is put roadblocks in front of them, make sure they don't get any further. It's, we're literally, deliberately trying to hold ourselves back, and it's utterly ridiculous. Jim, you encapsulated the conservative position on education so well there. The goal is to lift everybody up to the point of excellence, not to bring people down if others aren't keeping up with them at a certain time. But yeah, the goal is to, as you said, get the best out of every single student. Very important. Very important to say. With Social Security running out of money already, what are they trying to do? Come for your 401ks and IRAs. Are there plans to make your investments controlled by the government? Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. All right, on to the crazy martini now and a potential bad martini down the road, certainly. Uh, Politico with a story today with a pretty blunt headline. Republican losers look to run again in 24 and the party's at odds over how to stop them. And so we've talked before about how one of the things that led to Republicans not doing as well as they probably should have in the midterm elections, given Biden's lack of popularity and some of the opportunities for for pickups was because candidate selection didn't go that great. Uh, Part of it was uh, some lousy endorsements by Trump, quite frankly, uh, and then also just some stumbles along the campaign trail. We had Dr. Oz, for heaven's sake, in uh, Pennsylvania, Blake Masters in Arizona, and uh, now Blake Masters is apparently considering running for the Senate seat in 2024 against Kirsten Sinema. Carrie Lake is also looking at that. J.R. Majewski, the House candidate in Ohio, who was uh, believed to be exaggerating his military service. Uh, And then Joe Kent in Washington, who ran against uh, uh, Herrera Butler, who was one of the House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump the second time. Uh, And then uh, he failed to win the general election after beating her in the primary. So, Jim, we don't know how many of these people are are going to come back. The question is, (laughs) I guess there's a couple of them. One, have they learned anything if they do come back? And secondly, are voters going to give them another shot after flaming out uh, pretty badly in some cases in 2022? I'm going to surprise some listeners by saying... I'm not automatically opposed to all of these candidates running a second time. I'm not particularly fans of them, but I recognize they're at least theoretically capable of learning from experience and doing something different. I do think those who are thinking of supporting these candidates, thinking of donating these candidates, maybe you're thinking of putting out a yard sign or volunteering or doing something, have, have you know should ask fair but tough questions. What are you going to do differently? 
what's going to be different about this effort than it was this one, which was not that long ago, and in which you lost in circumstances that most people thought was pretty darn good for your party. Uh, the president's job approval rating was indeed pretty darn low in November 2022. The perception of the economy was pretty darn low in 2022. The right direction, wrong track responses in national polls and often in state polls were, were pretty good for Republicans. The problem was they just didn't like you, Blake Masters, or, or these other candidates. Now, maybe Blake Masters will go into this and say, you know what? I'm looking back. I spent way too much time worrying about what was on my website and changing it. And not nearly enough time, you know, meeting people, getting out there and things like that. Or I screwed up in the debates or, you know, like if you have real answers of things you want to do differently, mistakes you made and mistakes you won't make again. OK, I, I you know, I'm, I'm open to that. There are circumstances, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, chances are the, the candidates and the, the, the political figures you like the most did not necessarily win the first time around. Ronald Reagan famously ran for president in 1976. He also had the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican, which demonstrates there are some contradictions there. Um, I was thinking that one of my all-time favorites, uh, former Louisiana governor Bobby Jindal, he ran in 2003 for governor against Kathleen Blanco, a Democrat, and did not win. Now, this here's the story. You can say, what's different about you this time? The other interesting factors, you can also ask the question, is it conceivable that things will be different about your state or your district then? It's much, much, much more rare. I doubt there will be a significant difference in the state of Arizona between 2022 and 2024. If someone wants to make the argument, you can say that. You, you could theoretically argue in a presidential year, turnout will be higher and I'll do better. I, I guess. I, I don't find that terribly plausible or persuasive, but you can make that case. But somewhere between 2003, when Bobby Jindal ran for governor and lost, and 2007, when he ran for governor and won, there was this little thing called Hurricane Katrina which basically devastated the state of, of Louisiana in all kinds of different ways, uh, in terms of demographics, in terms of economy, in terms of just sheer wreckage uh, all across the state, that a what it had been at that point a, a fairly Democrat-leaning state was willing to give this Indian-American, fast-talking, wonky you know, guy and say, okay, he, he really seems to know what he's doing. He's got a real plan. Let's take a shot with him. And Bobby Jindal won, and he ended up, four years later, when he was running for re-election, nobody could find any anyone to run against him. So it's possible the state will, you know, your state or your district will be in a different circumstance in a couple of years down the road. I wouldn't bet on it though. I don't think that's a good good strategy to go ahead with. So, but otherwise, you know, what is Carrie Lake going to do a year from now that's going to be different from the last campaign? What is Joe Kent in Washington, J.R. Majewski in uh, in Ohio? What's different? Because you had some problems last time. I don't see anything that's necessarily fixed it. So I am not inclined to nominate any of these folks, but I'm willing to hear them out. But they sure as heck had better have some good answers about what would be different the second time around. Yeah, we want rock rib conservatives who can win. That's a big part of it. Uh, you got to be able to win the primary and the general election. And so if we want to have the both houses of Congress and, uh, and the presidency, you got to have people who can do both, obviously. So, Jim, time for a break. Have a good weekend, and I'll uh, see you again on Monday. Thank God it's Friday, Greg. Talk to you Monday. <laughs>
<laughs> Jim Garrity at National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast, please, if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. They really do help us out a lot. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.